With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. They are Sports Illustrated. It's amazing. This incredible body of work. I really appreciate the integrity. Everything you do is well done. You guys do a great job. We love it. What can we say? He's Chris Maddox. He's employed by Sports Illustrated. The announcer's got it in for me. There you go. This is the Crossover NBA Podcast. You have a problem with it? Build a team that can beat them. Hosted by the one and only. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Chris Maddox. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Crossover Podcast. Glad you could join me this week. Really, really good show lined up for you. The NBA is weeks away from returning to the floor. The league will officially resume its season on July 30th. Sam Amick, the great NBA writer from The Athletic, he joins me. We talk about some of our still lingering concerns. What might happen if there is an outbreak inside the NBA's bubble? And what teams could surprise in this new resume season where... It seems like anything could go uh, inside that bubble. A little bit later on, Lloyd Pierce, head coach of the Atlanta Hawks, he joins me. The Hawks are doing something really interesting in that community. Atlanta's going to open up State Farm Arena as a polling place, so you can go into the Hawks building and vote in these upcoming months. I talked to Pierce about that, about the social justice movement you know, being continued during the NBA season, and... His thoughts on Vince Carter, who is now officially retired. So stick around for that great conversation with Lloyd Pierce. Quick housekeeping note, if you like this podcast, very easy way you can support it. Head over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, on to my conversation with Sam Amick. 
All right, Sam Amick is here, NBA writer over at The Athletic. He is enjoying quarantine in Northern California, where I'm sure his family has just been ecstatic at every day they get to spend with Sam. Am I right there, Sam? The family just <laughs> just loving having you around. First of all, Maddox, don't be speaking for me. I had presumption big time to say that I'm enjoying quarantine, first of all. <laughs> Second of all, I mean, shoot, maybe I'll bring our two boys in here and you can ask them for yourself how they're feeling about daily lectures where dad tells you that you're not getting up early enough. Uh, you know, I literally, you'll be proud of me. I, I We talked off air about how I'm putting my camp counselor hat on and trying to keep them active. Man, I got them out on my elliptical. If like if they don't have physical activity during the day, then they got to do something and they're out there acting like they're at the gym. But a weird, weird time, brother. But thank you for having me and good to see you. I wonder how your kids and kids of any age will remember this, right? Like you and I will remember this vividly for decades to come, like 2020, yeah. the year that the world stood still and nearly fell apart. I wonder how kids will will remember all this. Well, I mean, there, it's going to be talked about for all of time. And I just talked to somebody about this yesterday. Obviously, the longer it goes on, it just, you know, the mark on history is that much greater. And even as you and I sit here talking, you know, this thought crossed my mind today. It's just insanity that we are officially today at the halfway point of 2020. Like we're, we're only halfway done. And this thing has been one for the ages and, and through the NBA lens, of course, you know, you're talking on New Year's Day, David Stern passing away, and then Kobe Bryant not long thereafter, and so many other stories since then. But um, it's scary stuff, man, not only because of the medical stuff, of course, but then there's the ripple effect on life and society and where are we all going, and even you and I and our industry, and what's the, the ultimate price that gets paid because of all this? Just nothing but uncertainty every day. But all in all, I feel like, you know, for us, we're, we're doing okay making our way through it. Yeah, no question. New set of challenges, though, for the NBA that seem to pop up uh, weekly at this point. But look, as we sit here speaking midweek, it's full steam ahead for the NBA. They are going to Orlando. Uh, Florida is rapidly emerging as one of the nation's hotspots for coronavirus. But the NBA uh, believes in their campus environment and believes in their ability to secure it. Um, as we kind of head towards this, Sam, what is your greatest concern at this point? Is it protecting the integrity of the bubble? Is it protecting, I guess, the integrity of an NBA postseason, which gets a little more goofy in my eyes every time a player pulls out or you have, you know, news of a team like Portland, which has is gonna have a whole new front court, you know, back in action right. Right. and ready to go. Like where where where's your greatest concern going into all this? Not to be hyperbolic, but it's really not because of the grave circumstances. For me, it's it's. I'm just going to cut to it. I don't want any funerals here. You know what I mean? And I'm not. I'm, I'm likely not talking about players because the science tells us that you know young, incredibly fit, healthy men are probably going to be okay. But we all know that the number one danger of this virus is the the way in which it spreads. And so, uh, an older coach, an older staff member. Um, what, what worries me is that as we know it right now and the way this is going to function, once you're on the campus, you're getting, let's say, tested every single day. But if you pick a time, all right, I got tested at 9 a.m. Well, at 10 a.m., I didn't know it, but one of the Disney employees touched a counter that I then touched and I picked it up. I then played a game that night and I contacted 25 different people and I don't get tested again until the following day. 
there is lag time here. There are vulnerabilities here. And that worries me for everybody involved. I wrote the other day that for me, it felt like a rocket launch where it's, it's you know, part of it is, is kind of exciting where you're, you're just hoping to see this, this rocket basically break all the laws of science and make its way to the moon. But the entire time you're sitting there in the back of your mind, hoping the thing doesn't blow up. And, and that's where we're at. And so they, they had a step forward last week with the agreement on both sides to really forge ahead. And before you know it, you got news coming out of Denver, news coming out of New Orleans, news coming out of Brooklyn, all these different teams that are shutting facilities down. And, and all, we're seeing the obstacles at a really early stage. So, uh, you know, I don't know where it's all going to go. You mentioned the coaches and, you know, that came up in the last couple of weeks, the idea that coaches of a certain age should take extra protections, like wear masks during games. Uh, and as we know, whether it's Alvin Gentry or Mike D'Antoni or Greg Popovich, there are a number of, and those are just the head coaches. I mean, there are a number of assistant coaches of that age as well. There was a pretty significant pushback from, you know, the Warren Legarys of the world, the Coaches Association led by Rick Carlisle, uh, to right. any older coaches taking those precautions. And I kind of scratch my head at that, Sam, because I understand it's, it, I guess it, it sort of reminds people that they're older, but like, I, I think, you know, general managers know that anyway. I, you know, I don't think it co- it's going to cost them, like, it's not going to cost Mike D'Antoni a new contract somewhere else or, or Houston or somewhere else if he wears a mask for three months. I just, I think it's a legitimate concern raised by the NBA. And a very curious reaction from, you know, coaching agents and the coaches association to push back so hard on that. What was your reaction to to how that all kind of played out over a matter of days? Yeah, so I was somewhat surprised. Um, I actually have talked to Warren about Mike D'Antoni in particular, and he joked when we talked about it, and this is before Woj had put out his stuff, where he he essentially said, well, we'll have to talk to our uh, I forget what he called them, their employee employment lawyer or something of that sort. And he goes, oh, I'm just kidding. Well, he clearly wasn't kidding. And the assertion is this, that, and, and not to agree or disagree, but at least understand the argument, is that if COVID-19 is going to be part of our lives for quite some time, I think as an agent, the concern is that, that let's go ahead to 2021. Mike, uh, Mike D'Antoni is going to be a free agent coach later this year. Um all of a sudden that $20 million contract he gets is $14 million because he has a stigma attached to him as a compromised coach, somebody who might have to come and go based on, you know, the precautions that are taken with this disease and this virus. Um, None of which is to say, I mean, I understand it. I don't totally agree with it. It feels just extraordinarily kind of preemptive and a little tone deaf based on what everybody is facing right now. But at the end of the day, that, I mean, agents are paid to, to, you know, fight for the best contracts possible for their guys. And a little bit surprised that, that even Mike and, and Alvin and guys like that are, are kind of playing that same card. And I don't know that ultimately it's going to matter that much, Chris, because you know that once you get on the campus, uh, it's just a different ball of wax and, and the masks aren't necessarily the same uh, effectiveness, if that makes sense, in that environment that they are on the outside. But but it was a, it was a wild one. And, and I, you know, I, I just – Everybody needs to do everything they can to be safe. You know, put your advisory kind of hat on for a second. I mean, the NBA released that 113-page memo, which was very detailed. I mean, it. it yeah. I've seen, mem- like, in comparison, I've seen boxing memos, which are like 20 pages long or nine pages long, trying to secure their location. The NBA went above and beyond, I thought, in that memo to try to 
you know, address every single issue. But if was there something in that memo or something that wasn't in that memo that struck you or something that was in there that that kind of gave made you scratch your head a little bit? Like if you could if you were advising the NBA to do maybe a little bit more on something or, or change something, would something stand out? Well, I don't know if this was deliberate or not, but they did not specifically address the protocol and, and, the, and the perspective on some of the worst case scenarios. Uh, and, and Adam Silver has since addressed a few of them with media calls. But, you know, the idea that, for one, I asked him on the call, if a superstar gets, you know, test positive versus a role player, um, is, is there any different treatment? Might you, you know, delay a series for a few days because – I'm sorry, LeBron is not the same as Alex Caruso. And that's it. And he said, no, all players are going to be treated the same. Um, there, there was all the scenarios that I think are going to basically control their lives out there were not really chronicled. If it was a lawyer reading it and a lawyer writing it, it was probably very deliberate where you leave yourself a lot of wiggle room to figure it out on, on, the, on the fly. And Adam has been clear they're going to do a lot of that. That makes me nervous. I mean, he's flat out said on the call, that you know, a lot of this is going to be get boots on the ground, start to see how the system is actually functioning, and then react from there. I mean, that feels like you know building a roller coaster while you're sitting there barreling down the track, and, and I'm not sure that that's going to work. And that's where I don't envy Adam, because we all I keep saying this, we can all be big boys and and adults and realize that this is about money, this is about cash, and this is about not losing the incredible amount of revenue that is on the table. Um, and, and Adam is the guy who is first and foremost there to work for the owners and he's got his alliance with the players and uh, it's risky business and they're going to go ahead and do it and, and there's no guarantees here. And it's a fair question to pose to Adam about a different set of rules for each player. And look, I understand the NBA doesn't want to get into a hypothetical debate. Um, they'd rather just you know cross their fingers and hope those scenarios don't happen. But I can't imagine, Sam, a scenario where if you're at game one of the NBA Finals and LeBron tests positive for coronavirus, like you're shutting that shit down. Like you're you're waiting until he's he's all the way back because like your TV partner is gonna tell you to wait. Like if yeah. it's let's just assume like Milwaukee versus the Lakers, like your television partner is gonna be screaming, you know, we're not doing this. Like you know, you're not going right. forward with the four game series or a five game series when you can just wait seven to eight days for this to clear LeBron's system maybe and pick up there. I, I just I just don't believe it. I, I think that if push comes to shove and they're presented with that type of scenario, whether it's LeBron, even Kawhi, Giannis out in the Eastern Conference, like they're I, I think they're 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 changing the rules there and and they're shutting that thing down. Well this is probably why they don't want to specifically address some of this stuff because if that in fact happened and listen, this happens in life. That would be Adam reversing course because mm-hmm. he went on record the other day saying that it would be treated like any other injury, that life goes on. You keep playing ball. And to your point, that's fine enough to say that, you know, at the beginning of the process, you know, let's talk during those NBA finals when everything's on the line. And let's say everything had just run beautifully, safety, health, good basketball. And then you have this trip up at the end. You know, you know they're going to think about delaying it or changing the rules. And that's where I hope for them um, that it eventually gets more comfortable because right now it just feels incredibly uncomfortable. Yesterday, for, uh, Fred Van Vliet of the Raptors, I thought was really good in his interview with the media talking about flat out that basically he's got, clearly got some regrets uh, for deciding to play. And if more players had stepped up and said, 
specifically for social justice reasons that they didn't want to play, that he would have done that. Uh, he said it seemed like a good idea a couple of weeks ago, and now he seems to feel a little bit differently. You're hearing a lot of that from these players. I saw an interview with Damian Lillard, you know, with our guy Sham Sharania talking about the fact that, you know, you just you don't want to go out there and have everything go sideways, but everybody's going to give it a go. But uncertainty is one thing. I mean, this is 24 7, 365 level uncertainty and something that everybody's going to have to get used to, which is pretty tough. Yeah, I agree with you too on, you know, Adam not wanting to stake out a position he might have to reverse. I mean, he kind of already did that, you know, back in April saying we're only going to go forward when coronavirus cases dip and, you know, the curve is bent and here we are. Right. about to head to Florida where it's nothing even close to that. It's actually the reverse right now. And people right. are kind of pushing right. those words on him. But, you know, I think, you know, behind closed doors, I think they, I just can't fathom them going forward with a series. No, I'm with you. LeBron is, is ultimately out of it. Um, Do you view Sam this? I mean, look, this is, this is a new thing. And I know you talk to as many GMs as I do, probably more like on a regular basis. Like I, I have a lot of GMs who just, don't describe this as a continuation. They're like, this is a new thing. And this is, yeah. you know, four months off and, you know, teams look different, uh, you know, some dramatically different than what they look like when when the pandemic uh, first shut the league down. I mean, is this, it, it's a commonly asked question, but with that kind of backdrop, is this going to ultimately down the line be considered a real championship? Or are we always going to look at this as being, all right, this was the championship of the 2020 strange season? I would say that hypothetically, if we say that they're relatively healthy and maybe there's a couple positives, but there's no super spreader incidents and maybe no superstars get the virus. That's, that's the one key if. Um, I'm going to give a whole lot of credit to whoever wins this title because from a mental health standpoint and a focus standpoint and a determination and will standpoint, I think this is unlike anything that any of these guys have faced individually and anybody that ever played this game in the past. It's really, you know, you, you think about the fact that pro athletes for all of time have been notorious for their routines, right? For, uh, for being superstitious and, you know, wearing the same shoes, all these different things. Your entire routine is put on its head now. You have no family and, around you or friends, whoever you want to be around, until after the first round of the playoffs. You're in an environment that it's nice. It's a, it's a nice hotel, but it's going to be miserable when it comes to the monotony. You know, how many games of NBA 2K can you play and ping pong? And, and really, on a more meaningful standpoint, you're going to have young men, you know, specifically black men who are frustrated because so much is happening in their community around the country right now, and, and they're going to be sidelined. They're, you know, they can have social media and they can have their voice be heard. I think all of those things over the span of three months, whoever is on the top of that mountain at the end, I think that's a tremendous achievement if they can get there. But you're 100% right in terms of it being its own entity because, for one, you got the rust that's going to come with everybody having been away for so long. You know, Then you have the uniqueness of no home court advantage and no traveling, which is super bizarre. Um, so you know, it, I don't, it's not an asterisk. I don't know what it is. It, it's different. It's in its own category, but I think it's going to have a lot of value attached to it. Yeah, I mean, uh, whoever comes out of this, you give a lot of credit to not just overcoming the physical but the mental, as you talked about, right. kind of being down there and – you know, kind of going stir crazy at all times. I've had, right. you know, several players who have said to me, like, I don't golf, man. Like, so like, what, right. what the hell am I right. going to do? <laughs> like, you know, so the player's lounge can only offer so much. I don't know what the hell the concert situation is. I mean, how many haircuts can you get? Like, there's only so right. much you can do 
in that type of environment. So there will be a big mental hurdle to overcome that I think will ultimately become the story of this postseason. Uh, are you as fast? Like I'm, like uh, I love the behind the scenes stuff as you do, but like I'm fascinated by the fact that the Milwaukee Bucks are sharing a hotel with the Raptors and the Heat. Like that is the greatest thing I've ever I've ever heard of. Like you've got the two teams that presumably are going to be making a run at Giannis in 2021 if he's an unrestricted free agent. Yep. Sharing a right. hotel with him for as long as, you know, a month and a half, two months. Like, you think John Horst is not going to be, like, staking out a position in the lobby? Like, like watching to see if, like, Riley rolls through, like, with like with that velvet bag that Brian Windorf wrote about recently, like that velvet bag of, of rings or, you know, Masai Ujiri, like, you know, hand in hand, like, inviting Giannis to Africa to be part of the, the, the crew. Like, it's just... I think... Don't, you know, we'll keep this between us, you know, but but I think we need to come up with a plan to get a, a spy on the inside to watch Giannis's hotel room door and, and the stack of gifts that gets piled, you know, with, with different team brand logos on there. My buddy and colleague, uh, Ethan Strauss, had, had coined the phrase the other day. I think a GM said it to him, a uh, tamper palooza, hmm. which I thought was pretty good. I mean, it is. It's, it's insane because you think about like All-Star Weekend, or the Olympics, environments like that, when they become, you know, the the kind of the breeding ground for this type of recruiting and player-to-player conversations and all that, that the length of time that these dudes are going to be chilling together, I mean, they're going to be – they can work through every scenario under the moon, and then the executives are there too. Um, I do, you know, and I do currently plan on going to Orlando for the back end. The part that I will still be – bummed out that I didn't get to see because as you know the media stays in its own hotel we cannot interact with the team and the players in a separate hotel that you know painting that picture and knowing kind of what type of stuff happened in there um, I mean hopefully we can source some of it and learn a few things but I mean it's that's never happened and then everything's going to happen like fireworks on the back end because obviously the schedule is compacted so you know I think we're probably after the finals going to see in pretty short order you know, what some of these conversations led to. Yeah, I had a, a GM label that hotel the Temple of Tampering, uh, where, where Giannis <laughs> is, is going to be hanging out at. And, that sounds like a good Disney ride. They should gonna, have I know, you're going to have like a, yeah. like like the Bucks going to put like a GoPro outside of Giannis' room just aimed at the door to to monitor his, his every move or, or send a security guard to just sit there and just like monitor everything that he's doing at any given time. Right. Were, were right. you, on the subject of Giannis, you know, the, the conventional wisdom was finals or bust for Milwaukee to get yeah. Giannis to sign, but a lot's obviously changed since then, not the least of which is, I mean, I don't know if the financial Sam are going to be different, you know, looking ahead yeah. to, you know, to next summer. Does it still make financial sense for Giannis to sign that max level extension? Do you think that the rules have changed with all this, that, you know, it's not as simple as Giannis signs, he stays, he doesn't sign, they have to explore uh, potentially moving him? I have no reason to think that's changed. That that would certainly have been my most recent pulse, you know, pre-COVID. Um, just in terms of, you know, I mean, this is the toughest part of pro sports is that an organization can be simultaneously madly in love with a player and never wants to see him go away. But then the second that he sends that signal that he's thinking about, you know, going elsewhere, they got to do what they got to do. And I do anticipate that that's the way the Bucks would handle this. And that's why, again, later this year could get very interesting. And, and only Giannis knows how he might look at this playoff challenge differently 
than if this had never happened. Because I could certainly see just on a human level, him having the attitude that, you know, this, what's about to happen, like the question is, does it truly accurately represent what you have as a group and as a basketball team? You know, if, if you fall short, is it because you don't have enough? Or is it because, you know, this guy tested positive and, and had a hard time getting back and that guy, you know, just wasn't feeling Orlando. There's so many things, and this extends beyond Milwaukee, not to jump off the bucks, but someone said to me recently, they're like, you know, coaches are already like preemptively frustrated because somebody will probably wind up paying, uh, the, you know, paying with their job if things don't go well enough in these playoffs. And, and coaches are, they, they like to have controlled environments and control as much as they possibly can. They've never had less control over the circumstances. And, nonetheless they're going to pay for them if things don't go well for their team so again i can't read Giannis's mind i still think the bucks i mean they've done a wonderful job of putting themselves in, a, in the best position possible to to get this thing done and have him be there for a long time but uh you know this is a new calculus yeah i i'm with you on what they've done i mean you you really can't do much more than what milwaukee's done building a team yeah. of shooters around him hiring the best coach out there uh, hell, his yeah. brother's on the roster. I mean, like, what more – at this point, what more uh, can Milwaukee do? So you're you're almost finding yourself rooting for them in a way that it would be – you know, yeah. a good team gets what they deserve in a lot of ways when it sure. comes to uh, bringing back Giannis. Uh, two questions before I let you go. One, um, as you look at the field right now, if you take Milwaukee and the two L.A. teams off the board, who's the next team up there that you think has the best chance of winning this thing? I'm not feeling anybody. I mean, Denver came to mind, but now all of a sudden they got a closed facility and a mm. superstar who tested positive. And, um, you know, that worries me for them. Um, you know, I mean, Toronto's had a wonderful season, but it's just, you know, I can't mentally make that jump to put them back where they were last year. You know, Philly, Ben Simmons being, you know, feeling good, which by all accounts, you know, he is. I think that's a big deal. Like everybody's focused on Portland and, Yusuf Nurkic and Zach Collins coming back. and But, I mean, Philly's going to get a nice little boost here when it comes to Ben finding his way. So, I mean, if I had to pick one, you know, maybe maybe the Sixers because they have their chemistry issues that are so unique, but they still have, you know, two guys that are at their best. I mean, honestly, you know, I'm talking down the line, but like MVP caliber, um, mm. you know, incredible ball players And Brett Brown, I actually talked to the Sixers the other day and they were – talking about how Brett is just a hundred percent raring to go here. And he's almost got that, that old school Spurs slash military type mindset that this is basketball deployment and he's, you know, fired up to go do this thing and, and try to shock the world. So I like some of what Philly is bringing to the table, but those three at the top to me are, are certainly head and shoulders above. Yeah. Sixers are really interesting. And, and I talked to Brett last week and was asking him about something Embiid said, at NBA.com where he's like, I'm working out six times a week to get ready. I yeah. haven't been working out six times a week. And I was like, Brett, do you buy that? He was like, he goes, I buy that he's working out six times a week. I'm not sure what his workouts look like at this point. Is it like <laughs> military style, like going to come in looking like Marcus Gasol or, or Nurkic, or sorry, yeah, Jokic at this point where he's slimmed down, or is it just kind of, you know, I'm shooting around for, you know, an hour a day. Like that remains to be seen, but I we mean, have I, a few, uh, to, sorry to cut no. you off. And th this is an anecdote from COVID life. We have a few neighborhood ladies who they like to, at nighttime, they go around and walk, you know, about 15 laps around the street. It's a nice little workout. But if, if Joel's doing that, does that count the same as uh, being in beast mode? You know, no, that's a good point. 
That's not you have you have a different definition than us in New York on what neighborhood ladies means. I'm assuming. Point, so I'm just throwing that out there. There's the manic for the, mass, for the masses. Um, but but I, I they're just they're equipped to win a street fight, right? Like if these games are ugly, the Sixers are built for ugly. They don't shoot threes well anyway. So if nobody does, then screw it. Like we're all in a level playing field. And they've got two guys in Embiid and Simmons who are lockdown defenders, and Josh Richardson who might be just below them in the defensive position and. I think like Al Horford has not been great this year, but I mean, the guy, every postseason in Boston, he was awesome. So it, yeah. like things kind of like on paper could theoretically break the right way for Philly. And you mentioned Portland too, like that. It's another team that if, if McCollum and Lillard catch fire, ha- being backstopped by those bigs that they have now that, that they didn't have in mid-March, that could be a difference maker too, but we don't know what, uh, what, uh, you know, what Nurkic or Collins is going to be able to give uh, at this point. Um, you know, the rest of the season, the first round could be interesting because, like, Washington, like, how long do they let Bradley Beal play with no Davis Berton? I think that's worth watching. And yeah. they could decide after three games, just mail it in. And I don't know what's going on in Brooklyn right now. Like, you got Crazy. guys that are testing positive in late June who are effectively saying, I'm done. You know, you know DeAndre yeah. Jordan, Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, they're bowing out. We know Durant and Kyrie aren't going to play. I mean, the Nets you know, could be like a skeleton crew by the time that, right. that their season goes on. That that I don't know what you, you made of all that. Like Jordan and Dinwiddie, you know, effectively saying that they're done, they're out. So I definitely got my attention because the week before I did an anonymous GM poll talking to guys about their opinions. And what struck me, I didn't really write about this, but in those conversations, I remember I had one Eastern Conference GM tell me that he felt good about the league's timeline where, okay, mid-June, first round of tests, we figure out who's positive. And he just acted like this whole thing was going to be a well-oiled machine where if you test positive, you just go get healthy, come back, and we got you. It's time to go roll. You know, and I had another GM in the West tell me at the time that, like, unofficially in his mind, he felt like if when, and actually they did test positive, when one of his guys got a positive test, that he was kind of unofficially off the roster. He did not anticipate them being able to, you know, just – quarantine and then get back into your fitness and and get the routine going again. So I didn't really know who I believed because the one guy was optimistic. The other was very pessimistic. And now the nets are making me feel like the pessimistic guy probably had it right. Uh, And also the human component where these players, I cannot blame them. If you're Spencer Dinwiddie, if you're just looking at it going, yeah, like I could absolutely go crazy trying to get with my team in Orlando, but I'm a little worried about the fact that I just contracted coronavirus and I'm not, focused on basketball right now. I'm focused on health and want to make sure I didn't infect anybody else. I think the psychological stuff comes into play. So that is where the entire operation to me could be in jeopardy is that, you know, some of these calculations that they made were, or maybe they just missed the mark uh, before you know it. If you have entire teams like the Nets just kind of getting, you know, out of contention, that's not good for the, for the program. Yeah. And, and this is more like educated speculation, but I do think there are a lot of guys that you have to wonder where they're at mentally going into all this. Oh, yeah. Like, are they, yeah. are they like, you know, are they raring to go? I mean, you said, like, you know, of course, like, coach like Brett Brown, raring to go, but how many players are like, let's go? It's the playoffs. You know, every year everybody gets up for these playoff games. It's a totally different right. environment and a totally different set yeah. of circumstances. I, I can believe that guys like DeAndre Jordan and Dinwiddie, knowing they're playing on a team that, you know, probably at best is going to get like 15 games, eight in the regular season, maybe they go seven in a first round, but I don't think they win. Like there's, there's a mental aspect to this that guys will, you know, they can 
if they see an opportunity, you know, not to play, I think some of them will just take it. Yeah, I agree for sure. I still think we're probably only at like 10, 15, 20% of the publicly known information regarding not only players and which ones tested positive, hmm. but the ones you're talking about where they decided to go, but they're like already one foot out mentally. And that's going to show itself on the court. That was something else that, that was in that piece I mentioned was that the level of play, there's real concern about how bad the product might look and people feeling like it's, it could potentially just be terrible optics for the league where tanking, for example, is typically a front office ownership driven you know type of thing. I mean, for all we know, you could have players that if they decide I'm ready to go home and you see them not diving for loose balls and, and, and just not really feeling it, you know, that's going to show up on the screen. And I think that stuff is possible. I feel bad for Jacques Vaughn a little bit though, you know, at this point, like Jacques, I, I wondered if he would have a chance before the pandemic hit of keeping that job. Like there are a lot of people in that yeah. Nets front office that like him a lot, got former coaching experience, respected guy as a player. Uh, I think there were, I know there were some hoping he would win the job outright. Uh, but now that makes it, I'm not sure who they would go for. Maybe it's Ty Lue, maybe it's somebody else, but uh, yeah. that, that that's going to make it a lot more difficult for him to keep that job. 100%. To me, it's Brooklyn and Washington are the two squads that are already now, – now, ironically, from what I was told, the Wizards are excited to be going. So I'm not trying to indicate mm. that they're not, but but folks looking at the Wizards, are they are the team that everybody says, like, okay, why are they there? You know, it's six games behind with eight to go. And I think, uh, you know, it's one thing if management and coaches are excited to go, but I, I'm curious to see where their players are at and, and what kind of, you know, buy-in we have on that front. But you're right about Jacques. I mean, if you're an interim coach trying to seal the deal, I mean, you want your horses, and they don't have them right now. Yeah, yeah, that's a shame there. Uh, Sam, always good to catch up with you, man. Hope to uh, cross paths with you even for a day or two uh, in the old bubble. Uh, if you need me, I'm going to be looking for the Irish bar in the bubble. I've uh, informed, <laughs> I've informed SI that my expenses will be entirely spent on an Irish bar at, in there. Like, just run a tab and... You know, let it roll. Let the good times roll. I like it. I like. I mean, my name is a Mick, so I'm good with the <laughs> Irish part. Um, and, and and you know, as always, I'll be bellying up to the bar with you if, if I see you there. Thanks, brother. Definitely. Appreciate Thanks this. for doing this, Sam. I appreciate it. All right, Chris. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, so the Atlanta Hawks season is over, but the team is still doing some really important work. This week, the Hawks announced that State Farm Arena will transform into Georgia's largest voting precinct with the 680,000-square-foot facility set to provide a safe environment for Atlanta-area residents to vote, beginning with Georgia's primary runoff in August and through the general election on November 3rd. To talk about that, I'm pleased to be joined by Lloyd Pierce, the head coach of the Atlanta Hawks, who was involved in the conception of this idea over the last few weeks. Coach, I still I see you're still wearing your Hawks gear right now. Are you like kind of hoping a, a pickup practice will break out somewhere for you guys? No, I'm actually I'm headed to the gym. I mean, we, the one thing we can do is work out mm-hmm. individually. So we have guys coming in. I think we have about eight guys coming in today and two guys on the court at a time. So our coaches rotate and doing the workouts. I try and hop in and rebound here and there and uh, so I'll, I'll be heading there. Um, you know, we have it's basically a, every 45, 945, 1045, 1145. I think the last one might be 1145 today. So I'll try and just hop on the floor, check out the guys, uh, stay out the way as much as I can. It's got to be the longest these guys have been away from basketball, right? I mean, they've probably been playing at a high level since they were seven, eight years old. This is, I mean, this is the equivalent of a player that, that's been injured mm-hmm. and, um, you know, really been taken away from, from activity. Um, you know, I think uh, it's the only way I can equate it to anything of normalcy. Um, you know, for me, I definitely, this has definitely been, I think it went three or four months um, without even being in the gym, mm-hmm. which is just unheard of. <laughs> um, you know, in, in any form of basketball, just not even being in the gym, more or less working out or doing things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So tell me about the the genesis of this idea to turn State Farm Arena 
into a polling place, which like it's one of those ideas, Lloyd, that when it first I, I first read about it, I'm like, wow, that that every city should do that. These these, these arenas are huge. They're they're fully capable of being right. polling place. How did this this kind of come about? Well, hopefully every city does do it. You know, let, let's just start there. Uh, I know Detroit's talking about um, trying to get their practice facility involved, which is a huge facility, an open space, two courts. Um, so I, I, I think if every city, every NBA city at least, can get behind it, what a tremendous opportunity we'd have to encourage voting and to increase the number of, of eligible voters and, and actually make it easier and accessible for them to vote and have a voting experience. Um, you know, for us, the, the concept was brought about our CEO, Steve Coonan. Um, you know, we've been brainstorming on a number of ideas internally of what we needed to do. Uh, but one of the ideas we thought externally um, was that we could do it now and really impact voting. You know, whether it was a voter registration campaign and getting people eligible and registered to vote and, and using our, our staff, our coaches, our players, a social media platform to do so. Um, but again, that idea was part of it. Why not use our arena? And it, it kind of came out just like that. Um, luckily for me, I get to do a lot of media and have been doing a lot of media. Uh, and I just said it. Why not use our arena? Mm -hmm. We would love to. And, you know, I, I know it generated a lot of buzz, but behind the scenes, our, our, our staff, our CEO and, and our, our Atlanta Hawks staff, they were already processing and making calls. And uh, one of the calls was to the uh, chairman, Rob Pitts, our, our county official, county chairman here in Fulton County. And, um, you know, next thing you know, I get an email saying, hey, there's a walkthrough that's going to happen. Coach, come down. <laughs> we need your we need your support to get this done. And, and Steve, our CEO, and myself and, and three other members of our staff are, are at the arena and we're meeting with you know, I think it was 18 officials from the county and really all the logistics, the people that are behind the logistics uh, of, of uh, understanding uh, election day and the process of absentee ballot counting and what that looks like and register for the, um, you know, the day of, you know, what a site should look and feel like and from a logistical standpoint and without taking a moment to think about it they were all in agreement that the arena was the best option that they had and so that deal was done it was it was fairly simple in a lot of ways i think a lot of people have at least some level of awareness about georgia's issues with voting in recent years it received national attention during the gubernatorial election in 2018 and you know just in the last few weeks you saw problems with voting in fulton county where atlanta of course, is located. And during a global pandemic that has killed you know, more than 100,000 people, there were lines stretched for blocks you know, in 90-degree in heat out there. I mean, how much of, of that and the stuff that's happened in Georgia in the last couple of years resonated with you personally? Well, I think it is. It's, it's a bit embarrassing um, when you live here in the state. And I live outside of Fulton County. I'm in DeKalb County. And... Um, you know, we don't have those issues in DeKalb County. You know, my voting experience was fairly easy. I walked to the poll, uh, saw a sign that said, go to the other station. I walked in there. There was absolutely no line. I saw my guy, Kevin Burke, who was, uh, you know, my, my um, he's always at my voting site since I've been here in Georgia. We've gotten to know each other. 
elder gentleman who's a, a sports fanatic who recognized me. And um, so this is the third time I voted and Kevin's been there every single time. So <clears throat> just kind of shows you the comfort I have in voting. Mm-hmm. I actually know my guy that's there. Uh, and then you walk out and put your sticker on and check the media, social media, and then you read about Fulton County. Mm-hmm. And the machines are broke at 7 or 8 a.m. And uh, the lines are already long and backed up. And it's like, how is that? We're in the same city. How is that mm-hmm. possible? Uh, Fulton County holds uh, a majority of African-American communities, or, or most of our African-American communities. And a lot of our lower-income African-American communities are, you know, South Atlanta, Fulton County. Um, and so it's unfortunate and it's embarrassing um, as we're, trying to exercise our right to vote, which is extremely important. And um, no one's saying who you should vote for. I'm, I'm learning who to vote for in all these um, these uh, elections. You know, so many issues and so many uh, local and, and, and city officials and sheriffs and district attorneys and things of like that. You know, this is education for me. So it's not a matter of who you're voting for. It's just the opportunity to vote. So I, I took it personally, and, and I think it's uh, unfortunate that we continue to have these these issues. And, um, you know, one of the things I learned was we need more volunteers. Uh, when the machine break and, and there's, you know, no one to fix them, let's get people there that we can train and educate and technicians that are capable. Uh, and then the next, you know, is obviously there's long lines. Well, let's get a bigger facility. And, and put people in it so it's it's not as easy. We can handle the capacity. So the arena um, idea addressed that specifically, but more importantly, our employees at State Farm are with the Hawks. Um, there are a lot of people that aren't doing a whole lot right now. Mm. And um, a lot of people that are very supportive of what we're doing on, on our in our organization that are being paid and, and uh, would love to volunteer and help out. And so capable you have a lot of young young employees that are capable of uh, of learning this and being able to to handle the days of early voting so we're encouraged that uh, we can provide a lot of resources to areas that are in need during the election process was an open practice actually suggested in one of those early meetings during voting Say that was, again. I, I read. Practice. I read somewhere that somebody suggested having an open practice during the election for the Hawks to be on oh, the no. practice floors. <laughs> no, I, I mean we would like to get in the gym and do whatever. I don't <laughs> care who who our audience is. Um, no, that, that's not going to be happening. Uh, I mean, we'll, we would love to get our guys out there and encouraging our players and our our, our sorry encouraging our voters and our our citizens, but. <laughs> No open practices. I'm not going to fall for that it one. Could, it could be fun, you know. People waiting in line to vote, and you're yelling at you're <laughs> yelling at Kevin Herter to get back on defense. It's it's, uh, right. it's kind of the best of both worlds for for uh, everyone. Um, you, you listed voting in a recent interview as one of the kind of non negotiables that has to happen as we move forward. Do, do you feel like there's a, a voting energy out there now? Um, yes, we, you know, I think. I think the, the, the miseducation, not miseducation, just the misconception of voting is for the presidency. I think everyone thinks that's when you vote, you vote for who the president is. And as you learn and as I've learned, um, you know, 
when you start talking about policing issues and you start talking about um, reform that's needed, some of those things the mayor can do. When you start talking about legislative items, as I marched on Georgia the other two weeks ago and we were walking down to the Capitol building, you know, some of those things go right to the governor. And, you know, so there's so many levels and layers of who makes the decisions that are impacting our communities um, via our city, our state, and then ultimately our government, our country. Uh, But it's important to know, you know, the district attorneys and the sheriffs and the police chiefs and, you know, you know, communication from organizations and, and our citizens with our mayor uh, and ultimately, you know, choosing the right governor to, to sign off on all the, the local and, and um, state issues. And, and, you know, to have a hate crime bill finally get passed in the state of Georgia uh, a week ago, <laughs> you know, that that's just that's in the house. That has nothing to do with our president. Uh, that's something that we have to address here in the state of Georgia. And, and finally, we did. Now, there's some other areas that came with that. But, you know, I, I think that's important, understanding that. And, and uh, you know, I think the hardest thing is I've only been here two years. So I'm just learning about Georgia. You know, I grew up in California and voting in it is easy in California. Mm-hmm. It's a different, you know, you get a you get a booklet of information of all the policies and can, candidates and the things that are going to be you know, at the election. And when you go to DMV, you know, you get your ID and then you register to vote. Like you check that box and it says, oh, would you like to register to vote? Yes, of course. So, you know, you, you learn. And when you're invested in the community, you learn a little bit more and you learn a little bit more about, wow, I can't believe there's no hate crime. Bill. Wow, I can't believe there's no duty to intervene for police officers in the city of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, you start realizing those areas of concern that's why voting becomes important for the local uh, officials as well. Mm. Uh, before I let you go, the the NBA is officially going back to Orlando. We, we've heard several players express concern about the social justice movement getting lost in the shuffle at NBA return. Kyrie Irving led that call with players. I saw Fred Van Vliet said this week that he had some significant issues uh, with it. The league is taking some action to work with players on this from you know, having Black Lives Matter uh, on the floor or to allowing players to possibly uh, wear social justice messages on their jerseys. What do you think? Is is going back in the midst of all this the right decision? And, and how do you feel about the way the league has addressed some of these issues that players have brought up? Well, I think as an entirety, going back is absolutely the right decision. Um to resume basketball is is um, great for the soul. You know, we all appreciate sport and want sport, and um, I think the league has has done as much as they can to to try and provide an extremely safe environment and atmosphere. On the flip side, like those that are struggling and aren't going to go and have personal choice and beliefs. And, and what they feel is best for them right now, um, I think is absolutely the right decision as well. You know, I, I'm a father of a almost two-year-old, and um, you know, I think it's tough to just say, "Hey, you know, we're going to remove you from your family for this amount of time," and um, they have to deal with a pandemic on their own, and you go play basketball. You know, I 
I get it. Like that's not an easy decision to make just because you play basketball or we want basketball played or because the atmosphere is safe. Um, you still have to, I still have a duty and most of the players still have duties and coaches have duties as, as head of the household and protecting their family. So although Orlando may be extremely safe, you know, it's home safe. Mm-hmm. And I, I think a lot of people are, you know, making, so I agree on both sides. It's a personal choice. It's not an easy choice. It's not an easy time uh, of what we're all going through right now. We don't know what next month or the month after that's going to look like. And so you have to just try and make the best decision for you and yourself and your family at this time. But I don't think anyone denies uh, the need for basketball or the want for basketball at this time. Um, From a platform standpoint, I think our access, our reach, uh, from the social media, television, uh, conversation, our, our ability to connect on you know, the racial injustice um, period that we're now understanding a bit more and being educated on and educating others and talking about. It's the greatest way we can keep the conversation alive so that we can continue to see some of the changes that are being made in our country. Uh, But the ones that are going to take a lot of time, you know, it's an opportunity for us to keep putting the pressure on that and still uh, talking about the many things that are needed to address uh, racial inequality. Yeah, no question. Uh, Lloyd, you're headed to practice right now. Have you heard any retirement remorse from Vince Carter yet? Um, the fact that he actually said he's done is a big step. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think uh, I don't think Vince is ready to stop playing. I think he knows it's time. But uh, no, you know I. I think his therapy right now is the golf course. Mm. I know he and a couple guys are going to play today. Actually, one of my coaches and uh, one of the players are going with Vince today. Uh, I think he just he rotates everybody. <laughs> I haven't made the invite yet, but uh, he knows I'm not a golfer, so that's the other part. But uh, no, I'm happy for him. I think it's a I think it's a great decision, uh, great time. You know, why try and come back? <laughs> You know, but I, I think the decision was made appropriately and it was made with a lot of thought and it was made, um, you know, it was a difficult decision you know, to walk away from something you've done his entire life and done it more than anyone at the NBA level. Um, but uh, we were very honored to have him part of our team the last two years. I think the only thing that Vince wishes he got was that last trip to Toronto. When I, when I talked to him just after the pandemic hit, I think he wanted... He was at peace with pretty much everything else, but that last visit to Toronto, I think, would have been special for him. Man, I, I tell you what, I, I was looking forward to it, mm-hmm. honestly. I thought this would be one of those great moments in sports history, mm-hmm. being with Vince in Toronto, you know, really at the end of the year, you know, not forget. It's different if it was Vince's last game in Toronto in January, mm-hmm. you know, but to do it in April – to be a part of it in April and uh, to know there was, you know, a game or two left in the season and Vince is going to finish his career in Toronto. Man, I thought that was, I was really looking forward to that moment, that video, because we went there earlier and they gave him, they gave him a great amount of love and respect. And, you know, knowing that wasn't it uh, at the time. So I was, 
I, you know, I, I, I can feel it. Mm-hmm. Just the goosebumps of what that would have felt like being in Toronto for Vince. And, and you know, it was an emotional um, couple years of, of Vince leaving and, and the, the fallout and then kind of the healing that, that they've had and he's had. Um, but at the end of the day, it's sports. And he really drove basketball in, in the city of Toronto and the country of Canada. Um, for a generation of players, and you see a lot of those guys um, that look up to Vince that come from Canada and are in the NBA. Um, so I, I just – that's the – you know, we got to get them there next year. Maybe when we, we fly out to Toronto and play and, um, you know, we can bring them kind of as an honorary member and let them do their, their due diligence of, of the respect and, and honor that he deserves because uh, – Man, that was that that was frustrating. Yeah, that would be a powerful moment if you did that next year. It was uh that's a passionate fan base and they're forgiving of Vince Carter or forgiving, but kind of moving on from everything is uh certainly would have yeah. made for a great moment. Uh Lloyd, I appreciate your time, man. Uh what you guys are doing down there with the with the arena is, is such a great thing to be done and you're doing a lot of uh great work individually. Thank you for uh for joining me to talk about this. No problem. Thanks for having me on. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.